Welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews. I am your host, Chris Lukinenko, and I scour this big brand land of ours, looking under fermenters and behind mash tuns to find the best beer stories to share with you. The Beer Healer Interviews is now available on all major podcast services. If you like the show and want to help out, can I ask you to simply rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast service. Just leave a few words and a rating and the podcast gods will do the rest. By doing this, you'll help others to discover the show more easily and hopefully get more people interested in this great industry that we call craft beer. So in case you hadn't noticed, just northeast of Melbourne CBD, there's a craft beer community to rival any of the other hotspots around the country. At the intersection of Abbotsford and Collywood is no less than about six breweries, all within about a two-kilometre radius of each other. And even better, they are all producing amazing beers. One of those breweries is Bodriggy Brewing Co. And I've been a fan since I first got a can of the High Binder American Pale Ale in a beer swap a few years ago. Since then, any time I saw a can with that unique branding on it, I was keen to try it. So after a bit of pestering, I've managed to snag the co-founder, Pete Walsh, for a bit of a chat, and I can't wait to find out more about this ripping brewery. So welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews, Pete Walsh. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Absolute pleasure. So I've got Bodriggy pronounced right now. Did I call it High Binder American Pale Ale? Is that right? Yeah, that's, oh, well, I think the, back in the binder. day, that high binder. How, yeah, High Binder. That was our that was the the pale ale we produced before the Eutropia. It's close enough, though, mate. That'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a simple man. Sometimes I get the connotations yeah. right. Hey, yeah, you guys are literally one block from the old hallowed turf of my beloved Collingwood Magpies, Victoria Park, aren't you? We are indeed, yeah, yeah. We, um, I've had the pleasure of since the, the, the they still play VFL games there, which um, yep, great, great vibe. They they normally get you know four or five thousand down oh, there for cool. a VFL, and they also had um, some enormous women's AFL games there this year, which has been uh, incredible for the for the feel of that little strip there. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. I remember going to watch the Pies at Vic Park in the 80s and 90s. I probably haven't been back there for 20 years. I'm tipping things have changed a little bit in the local area since back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, we um, we first came onto that strip uh, nearly <clears throat> nearly 10 years ago now and it was predominantly uh, vacant shop fronts. And um, oh. I think it's a – we always sort of thought it was a little bit of a psychological um, – Gap once you come east of Hoddle Street, it just tended to, to to dive down pretty quick. But um, it's been a pretty steady progression in the right way, uh, where it's just it's gotten busier and busier to the point that it's um it's a little bit of a hot spot now, I, I reckon. And um, I have kind of gone to the point where I I find it hard to go on the other side of Hoddle. It's um, there's there's <laughs> everything I need on this side now. So yeah, no, it's 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 really good. So it's, it's- like many sort of older working class areas of Melbourne and, and other states, just just sort of gentrified now and all that sort of thing. Yeah, well, Abbotsford is originally the it is the original Collingwood, and it's uh, it, yeah. they split it they split it down the middle a while ago, and so there is a it's um, a slightly different feel to the um, to the other side of Hollow, but it's a, it's um, it's very gritty. Um, there's a lot of um, um, government housing and a lot of um, a lot of street art. There's a lot of um, a lot of culture and a lot of like um, beautiful old factories and pubs. It's um, it's a it's a special special part of Melbourne. Um, yeah, we love it. And that's how your whole sort of working career starter was was in a 
or owning a pub, which is across the road from Bodriggy now, isn't it? That's uh, where it all began for you. Yeah, exactly right. So we um, we took on a it was an old milk bar, and we turned it into a into a, like a craft beer bar slash sort of cafe called Dr. Morse and we, we still have that now. We've, we've had that for, yeah, as I said, nearly 10 years. Um, it's a bit of a bit of an institution and um, <clears throat> once once we sort of set up down there and uh, that was, uh, yeah, as I said, the beginning of, the, uh, of um, something pretty special happening in that area. So it was literally a hole in the wall just, you know, all serving, you know, packaged product or did you have a full-on, you know, tap system and everything going on in that place? Yeah, yeah, no, we did a we did a little refurbishment on it, and we have a like a quite a nice beer garden, and it's um, um, uh, it's open from quite early in the morning to late at night, we, um, seven days a week. But we sort of <clears throat> set it up originally as a um, I guess a craft beer bar that serves um, relatively um simple um straight up and down wine and wine and food but um focus i focus on beer with um i guess a, l- a little bit of a disco element uh, later on in the evening yeah <laughs> nice yeah can i get a beer can i get a beer with my bacon and eggs in the morning yeah 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 for sure no we do um <laughs> we do plenty of that so you're part of what i think's the you know the, probably the hottest craft beer location in victoria maybe one of the hottest in the country even are you claiming og status in that area or did stomping ground get you by a few years oh it's funny you asked that actually because <clears throat> we we um we did think that we had og status originally but i think um, we kind of we, we were probably a similar sort of um, rollout to stomping ground where we had to have a couple of years through planning and uh, a bit of a rough time getting it off the ground but technically i think they would be og status uh, and I, i'm happy to give that to them but uh, it was actually quite it's um ridiculously close to us and we didn't I don't think either of us knew about each other for a while. So then <laughs> I think there was a little bit of a like, oh shit, you know, like what's, what are we done here? But then once we met the guys and we <clears throat> saw what they were doing and uh, realized that it was, um, although it was a similar space, it was a slightly different aesthetic and, and vibe. And uh, it's been, it's been awesome working in combination with them. Cause I think you can, you know, like now that there's in fixation, the meal, Molly Rose um, uh, Range has opened up across the road from us. Moon Dog down the down the corner there. They um, you can literally you can have a full day out and really get um, a, a great diverse uh, picture of what that area has to offer. It's uh, I, I agree with you. I think that's um, it's definitely a hotspot for um, for um, for craft beer in <clears throat> in Melbourne and maybe even Australia and. Um, and it is a vastly different experience depending on which venue you're at. I wanted you to try and claim OG status then and challenge Stomping Ground to a fight in the streets, Anchorman style perhaps, <laughs> and uh, have tap handles and go at each other or something along those lines. Pretty nah, close, pretty close. I'll- Even considering you were already there with the bar. Ooh, yeah. Can't leave you settled by a fight, I reckon. Well, I reckon we'd been I reckon we'd been in the building for a good year before um, we found out about stomping ground, but by the time we got there, they were, yeah, they were 
uh, they were sort of about six months off opening. So <clears throat> it was good. It was good bouncing off them because they, um, it sort of take, took the heat off us a little bit. They'd gone through a, like a bit of a shit show getting it open as well. So it made it feel a bit better. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, just a couple of things you can do if you want to help spread this craft beer gospel. First up, Apple Podcasts. If you've got it on your phone, find the Beer Healer interviews, scroll all the way down to the bottom, rate, review, subscribe. That's the best thing you can do to help me out. Other than that, whatever podcast player you listen to this on, follow me or subscribe to me on that one. And then also, find me on Instagram and follow me there. Thanks for your help. So how long ago did you actually start dreaming about opening a brewery? Not actually planning it but taking a few steps back and just like you know dreaming about it um well we kind of we we always i always thought that the um that i was behind the emerging scene happening i i enjoyed it and i thought that um it it had traction and um i thought that it was a genuine concept the brew pub concept and that's um um, I guess uh, my business partners and I, our, our background is hospitality, and um, yep. so it was kind of combining our two two loves, I guess. And um, I was talking to um, my business partners for a while about <clears throat> the potential of doing it because I, I just thought that, as well as the concept being great, I just thought that there was. Um, genuine scope for it in Abbotsford. This is obviously pre-stomping ground. Not that it doesn't matter, but um, so we thought that that was, there was not, not only a great concept, but there was genuinely some good scope for it in, in and around that area. And um, it took me a couple, probably not that long, a couple of weeks, I reckon to, to twist the guy's arms. And we'd been um, trading relatively healthily at, Do- at Dr. Moss for a, a couple of years at that point. And I said, let's, you know, let's have a think about doing something else. And it was literally <clears throat> less than 24 hours later, um, we <laughs> noticed we noticed a, um, a, a big for lease sign up on the uh, the old LPG conversion center across the road from Dr. Moss. And, um, I reckon it would have been close to less than 24 hours after that. We were standing in the building <clears throat> meeting with the landlord. and um, Oh, wow. Yeah. He was literally sweeping up the old mechanic parts and um, we we went in there and his, um, <clears throat> his father actually ran and operated that business for 40-odd years. He was quite a pioneering figure in the in the oh, LPG wow. conversion center and the for the, uh, um, for the kids that are listening, the LPG conversions is what <laughs> they used to do to the big old uh, the big old tanks, the old Ford Falcons and Commodores from back in the day. They'd uh, yeah. put in an LP gas tank to sit alongside the petrol tank, which was a lot cheaper to run. And most of the taxis in and around Melbourne and probably half of Australia were running on these LPG conversions. It was quite a quite a lucrative business there for a while until Uber came in, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. He had um, you know thirty on it, thirty odd employees, and he had <coughs> four, or, four or five of these factories, and um, and they he was a, um, you know a, a quite a I guess eager um, Italian immigrant that started off and worked his guts out um, for a long time. And then he kind of just got to the point where he was ready for retirement and um, handed it down to his sons and, and daughter. And they um, 
they decided so to leave. Fuck it, Dad, we're selling your business and cashing out. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess it, it turned Poor around. Dad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think he was. I think he was a bit crook. Um, so uh, he yeah, um, he, was, he was yeah. on his way out, and they um, put it up for lease, and it happened. Actually, after we decided that we were going to give it a crack, it. Um, we it happened surprisingly quick. Something that I thought would probably take two years ha- took took about two weeks. So um, I kind of didn't really get a time to think about. Um, I guess answering your question about how long had I dreamt about it and imagined it. I think by the time we'd actually got it, I, it was only <clears throat> um, genuinely about two weeks for me to process it. So um, it happened happened quite quick. The next the next stage was took fucking ages because then we <laughs> <laughs> then we applied for our um, planning our, the our permits and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that was. <laughs> That was about another three years or so. Mm, but, shit, um, shit. Yeah. So, did you? Uh, you know, obviously, this all happened very quickly. But over time, did you create a detailed vision of what you wanted Bodriggy to be, or did you take inspiration more from the surroundings, the cool building, and all the shit that was left over to help create that Bodriggy brand? Yeah, well, I mean, we were, I guess, in some ways, um, I, I think we were uh, subject to the, the layout of the building itself. Um, I'm not sure if you've, you've been in yet, but it's, it, is, it is fairly naturally segregated into two sections, two main sections. And so the building lent itself to be split, split into, which was a perfect um, brewery slash bar area. Um, yep. and then, um, yeah, we, we always do try and pride ourselves on, <clears throat> um, making the building and the people in it relevant to the brand and the, uh, and the area. Um, so we just tried to, it was a, <clears throat> it was, a, it was a nice building, but it was kind of built in that shitty sort of early seventies period where the, where it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little, it's a little bit rough. So it needed, um. Needed quite a quite a lot of work, but um, we um, the the building itself has <clears throat> has come up incredibly, and um, I, most of that's due to I've got a very talented uh, business partner that's also a builder and a designer. But um, we, in regards to the brand, we um, I, I've always been. Um, quite intrigued by a lot of um, Scandinavian breweries and a lot of um, um, a, a lot of breweries in Australia as well but also a lot of sort of um, smaller breweries in in the states and um, so we did I guess uh, without thinking about it too much we did lend ourselves like lend it to, to those breweries for influence and um, I guess that's where we we, we kind of brought in a, an artist to come up with the, <clears throat> the identity of it, which is something that we're still building. But we th- I really like the idea that the, um, uh, you know, particularly in um, Scandinavia, that there's a lot of these craft breweries that will link themselves to to an artist, and um, I feel like there is a quite a natural <clears throat> a natural bond between a lot of these breweries and. Um, non-conventional branding with uh, an association with a good artist um so we we, we're still we're still trying to puff that out a little bit and i think it has you know this is five years ago now so if you look at the 
the labelling for <clears throat> Australian craft breweries in, in general, I think it's uh, it's uh, a lot of um, a lot of aspects have come to life, and um, there's a lot of things that would be outrageous five years ago are fairly run of the mill now, and um, I think that's a good thing. I, I really like looking at cool artwork on cans, and I think that it gives the brand a little bit more depth, um, which is which is what we're after. Takes me back to a conversation with Little Bang a year or so ago. I reckon they have very similar sort of ideas. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah, um, yeah. To answer your question, no, I haven't been into your brewery, and I think I've got 18 months of guests uh, saying, I'll come to your brewery when COVID's done. So I've got a massive list to tick off in uh, the next couple of years, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, you're going to be busy, man. I mean, you could knock over six in one day if you really wanted to. I'd probably recommend spacing it out a little bit and having a, <laughs> having a real crack at it properly. <laughs> so you know, all this thing is you put a lot of uh, effort into to beer effectively, you know, in these, these few years when you were getting started. Where did the actual love of beer come from? Did you have a trip to Oktoberfest like many other young blokes that have you know, got into beer or were you a home brewer or, you know, maybe dad or what was the story for you? Yeah, I dabbled a little bit with home brewing. Nothing, nothing too serious. I did have a trip to Oktoberfest, but that was shocking. I would, that definitely didn't. What happened? Oh, it was just a. Um, it was just wild. It was. It was. It was fun, but I just like I couldn't believe how um, how wild it was. Everyone was just absolutely like stonkered um what, which was naked naked and gaffer taped to a pole kind of wild or mate there was bodies strolling on the side of the streets for like kilometers before we got <laughs> we got in and then uh, yeah no it was good fun but um i uh, like the, i think my, my my real passion for for beer started stemming when we um when we did open Dr. Mawson, we started, we made a, a call relatively early to try and, um, um, you know, at one point we'll do in Melbourne Bitter Long Necks, but we we're still doing <coughs> Mornington Peninsula Pale on tap. So I was just kind of shooting, shooting down the middle a little bit. But then we, we draw, drew the line in the sand and we said, no, let's, let's make this, um, fully independent and, and, and as crafty as possible. And it was um, all about trying to engage our customers and, and um, get them to, I guess, try something that they might not be so familiar with. And I just like that um, from an experience point of view. Um, and, and I guess in, in conjunction with that, I think um, the fact that I was drinking a lot more um, like small batch, genuinely fresh beer. I think that it's like so many people that <clears throat> have got into craft beer. Have, uh, it's not it's not brain science. It's just the fact that you're you're so you're drinking something that's that's unpasteurized, that's super fresh, and it's balanced, and it's um and and, and it's a, it's an eye opener because it's a yeah it's a. Everyone, everyone's different, but it's in my opinion Bit of an epiphany moment for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, um, and and then the the fact that um, we we prided ourselves on being a, a community orientated bar that that uh, and it just fitted in with the concept. It's pretty easy. It's like if you if you if you want to drink fresh beer, you um, 
you, you, you get the um, you get the brewery from closest to you to supply it to you, and then and you yep. develop a relationship with that brewery to make sure that you <clears throat> that you've always got the good stuff. So obviously you've got that now with the the vent with the brewery across the road. So the name the name Bod Riggy that wasn't the Bodyworks name, was it? It was the the prior owner, was it that had the name Bod Riggy of that building? Was that right? No, I mean Bod Riggy was the. So the the building that we're that that, that we're in, it's the, the original stone mason on the <coughs> on the facade oh, that you can't see right. was called Bodrigi Villa, and um, uh, so right. it actually it actually connects to um, two tenancies, and um, <coughs> yeah, we just liked it. We thought it sort of um, yep. It's kind of it's like uh, what's really important for us is it has to be has to be fun and it has to be easy and, and I, I didn't mind it being like a little bit silly and just a little bit um like we're, we're not we're not we don't take things too serious so um and it didn't actually sort of mean anything and i quite i quite liked that and it just felt right that considering it had been sitting on that street for 120 years or so it just made sense for me it took it took a little bit of wrangling not not everyone was into <laughs> it originally so but yeah, I'm glad we got there. Were were there other names thrown around that you had to battle up against? Oh, fuck. I think my business partner came up with some stinkers. Oh, I can't even. I can't <laughs> even remember to be honest. We were gonna the original. Um, I think it would have been pretty cool actually. The original name of the LPG center was called Auto LP. And we were tossing up with that. That's that, that had a bit of cool factor on it. I guess it was oh, yeah. um, a little bit of sort of garage project vibe, but um, yep, <clears throat> no genuine contenders though, apart from that. I guess fair enough. Well, you didn't take the name, but you, I believe you've taken some of the bits and pieces that you found when you you cleaned the joint out to to decorate the brew pub. Is that right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> oh, there's. Um, <laughs> okay, no, there, no, there wasn't, Chris. No, your, your information's incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think. Was my researcher. Yeah, no, there's. Oh, it was a. Yeah, if you look at some of the old photos, there wasn't, <clears throat> and and the state that we got it in, it was um, the only. I mean, the one thing that we did do was we because we we needed to get a. Um, it was a live music license, and we needed to completely replace the roof so um, we needed to soundproof the roof and we actually used the old gal roof is our bar top um, which has turned out really well but apart from that it's not there's not that much that we've managed to re-salvage I I don't know where you got that from sorry I don't fucking I probably made it up (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I read that today anyway doesn't matter (laughs) so the plan was always to start out as a brew pub without the brewery and then, you know, get that up and running a little while later. Is that sort of how it all panned out for you? Yeah, well, we <clears throat> we actually got the we, we got the permit and the way that the build naturally progressed was meant meant that we could we um we could start brewing beer before we opened the venue. So we sort of threw everything in the back end of the building and got and got the brewery operational, um, and sort of started the wholesale um, side of the business first, and then um, the. Um, then the venue side of it took about <clears throat> nearly about another year, and that was a lot of that was Shit. was building, but also um, 
a lot of that was waiting for our our permits and um, we had a sort of complicated situation with the there was a uh, a huge quite a monumental apartment block being built next door that we sort of had a bit of a jostle a jostle with for a little bit so um yeah i mean it was about three three and a half years all up before we um had everything up and running um and so what the pub across the road was effectively a pseudo tap room for you there for those few years was it yeah i mean we've always run that relatively independently it's got a um it, def- it stands on its own two feet and um yeah it's, but yeah it was we were kind of pretty pretty stretched for a little bit there we but we kind of scrambled in the last Oh, it wasn't really a scramble. It was like an 18-month shit show really. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the the front of the building, just because we needed to <clears> – <throat> we built we built another toilet block. So we we um, built essentially built another level uh, underground. And then, uh, as I said, we had to replace the roof um, to soundproof it. So we built another level and replaced, um, you know, 900 square meters of ceiling and in, 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 uh, a soundproof way, which was, um, which was just a huge, huge task, expensive. And the beers that you were brewing at, at the, the brew pub weren't your first beers because you had a, a period of, of gypsy brewing leading up to that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So we pretty much, I reckon we would have come close to brewing in nearly every. <clears throat> Every brewery in Victoria, or at least half of them, I'd say. Really? Is a, yeah, we, we had a sort of uh, like, yeah, because we had a, um, some good growth from um, early days. And then we kind of wanted to keep that momentum going. And so we sort of upped, upped our capacity and we were brewing everywhere. I, <clears throat> if I had my time over, I probably, I probably would have done that a little bit differently because it's just. Uh, it's hard to make it's a, a lot of stuff to manage. Yeah, and when you sort of when there's too many people having a bite of the cherry, it's um, it kind of spreads it a bit far, and then you also lose you do lose control of exactly what's coming out. We um, yeah. we do do a little bit of contract brewing at Bodrigi for other um, for other breweries, but when we get a new inquiry, I just. I just basically I tell I, I just put it to them and say why are you why are you doing this and they'll t- and then I <laughs> tell them about what happened to us and it's just um you're if you if you're waiting for your own brewery to open you're better off just sitting tight or if you think you've got um a, pot, a product that you need to make a lot of <clears throat> um you're probably wrong. So that's interesting because a lot of people say Gypsy Brewing's a really great way to get a a brand established without having stainless steel necessarily because of, of the massive cost, but would you have waited and just gone straight to your own stainless if, if you'd done it all again? Yeah, well, I mean, it was – I just – I've often, like, tried to weigh up our growth in that area uh, against um, um, what actually happened at that time in regards to sales and um, just the, a couple of sort of – fairly stressful months i yeah i think i think i would and it's obviously it's dependent on each individual um gypsy brewer or brewery like it's uh, if you've got we do some really great contracts that 
uh, for co-conspirators and we still do some for um, some other breweries as well. But they've, they've got a great system where they, they do um, some some really um, eclectic, unusual beers at a, at a like they're, 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 ver- they're premium and they've honed in on their, on their market that's working it's working really well for them, um, but I think that more often than not, um, it's, it just spreads it a little bit far. <clears throat> if you if um, there's a contract brewing system set up and um, everyone's having a piece of the pie, and not not just the financial thing, but also the um, trying to get um, writing a recipe on a card and giving it to a brewer and actually trying to. Um, uh, I guess getting the point across of exactly what you're after is um, quite often uh, quite often a harder harder thing than just handing over a recipe. I think. So when you're talking about the recipes and stuff, it wasn't you brewing at this stage when you're doing the gypsy, was it? Were you just sort of managing the whole process because you'd bought a brewer on, hadn't you? Yeah, yeah. So we did have um, we we bought a brewer on uh, a couple of years before we got up and running. So he was kind of managing all that. Um, yep. So we, we would collectively sit down and and discuss what exactly what we we're shooting for, um, and work. And and we, we've always had a bit of a, a a couple of years ahead in regards to the the plan on what we're on what we're trying to make, but. Um, Doing it in a contract format, quite often we'd be brewing, you know, for example, we'd be brewing our pale ale in three different breweries and it would be the exact exact same recipe but um, a fairly variable result um, depending on – and they're all, you know, most of the time they're all good but quality of – the the consistency was just – which was just different, which – I think um, is probably one of those subconscious things for for punters. They might not, uh, if the beer is still good, they might not necessarily um, hold you for hold you hold it against you. But um, it's we uh, and it's something that I learned probably the hard way is um, just being able to maintain that consistency and and deliver on what you what you say you're going to do time in time out is pretty important. I think. God, if only Brick Lane had been more established when you were starting, it would have just been really easy to go one stop shop. Yeah, nah, for sure. That was, uh, you know, they they um, they probably were about a year <coughs> a year too late for us. But yeah, they're um, they're doing some great some great contracts. So that would have been handy. So the date that you opened the brew pub or the the restaurant side of things, that, I believe that was the 29th of July, my birthday. Was that yeah, right? Wow. Yep. Yeah, that sounds about right. What year was that? That was 2019, was it? Um, well, yeah, 2019. Yep. 2019. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Just in time for six months of trade and then COVID. How fantastic. Yeah, I think we're nearly, we'd be close, but it's nearly, we'd nearly be closed more than we've been open now. Yeah. Um, it'd be, it'd be pretty close, I think. But yeah, I'm not trying to. I'm trying not to do this, the math on those sorts of figures no, too much at the moment. You'll, you'll go mad. You'll go mad. Yeah. Um, you call yourself a brew pub, but you've actually got a 36 heck kit and your own candy line. That sounds like you got. Well, obviously you've got a little bit of spare capacity because you're doing some contracting for people, but uh, also certainly room to grow. Like that's that's actually a fairly big kit for a brew pub, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so we've got <coughs> um, as a we brew twice into 80 hectares tanks and we yeah as you said as a 36 
hectolitre brew house. So there is a little bit of room to move. And that was a, <clears throat> a decision that we just just um, doing a little bit of research out there. And we did a, my business partners um, and I, we, we did a big, basically a big piss up through America for about a month. Um, research do, tour. Research tour, yeah. yeah. And um, the the fundamental, one of the biggest things we took from it was, was um, just if you can put yourself in a position where there's a, <clears throat> there's the scope for you to grow into, to, to grow into yourself. And, um, so we did overshoot it a little bit, um, with the initial setup. Um, but you know, we're, we're sort of already at the point now where we're pretty much full. Well, we will be full coming into summer, um, Pending yep. what happens, so yeah, no, it's we can we can make a, a decent amount of beers there. I think it's um, um, at capacity; it'd be about a million and a half a year, which is oh, still which is still not tiny. Too shabby. But no, no. Yeah, <laughs> what sort yeah. of uh, storage tanks have you got? The are the the fermenters. Yeah. So, how how much capacity have you got in in the, the fermenters? Oh, how many have we got? So we've got nine. We've got nine eighty hec fermenters, oh, right. and, and then we've got two um, eighty hec bright tanks. And we're just about to get another one of each, and that'll that'll kind of mean that we can brew um, five days a week and pack out five days a week, which is about about cool. where we want it. Where, where we want to yeah. be, I reckon. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the beer range. I think I've had most of the core range. I've had the Pills, the Draft, the Nipa, the Dark Session. Oh, the Dark, sorry, and the Session and the Pale. None of the Sours, though. Um, but as I said, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. How has the range changed from day one to what it is now? Um, well, we <clears> – I guess the, the – um, we always wanted to – brew beers that we enjoy drinking and um we wanted to without because because we do have um a bit of headroom with the brewery we has to a lot of our beers had to tick that sessionable box a little bit as well so um we i guess our plan is to uh we and the fact that we need we we decided that we basically need at least 12 different beers pouring at the brewery at all times. So um, yep. you've, we've got our seven seven or eight core range beers and then we've got um, a, a probably between four and five rotational um, rotational um, limited beers that we um, tag in and out as we go. So <clears throat> um in regards to the actual the, the core range beers that we make, it's it's like anything like cooking a cake. If the more the more you do it, um, the better it gets, and um, the better our processes is. And I guess um, another thing that I didn't really factor in is like the the fact that now we're um, we've built quite a decent relationship with our with all our suppliers and our um, um, our, our molten grain suppliers to the point where we're relatively happy with what's um what's being offered and um we 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 um we we just try and make beers that we think without thinking about it too much we think people in abbotsford are going to want to drink so um we we did um jump on the hazy wagon for for a while there and we're, we're still we're still around and about that but um we do try and make sure that there's sort of something for everyone when they come in um 
So, yeah, that's a um, good way to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so. Well, I've got to say that even though it's a mid-strength, Specky Juice is my absolute favourite. Favorite. So much flavour in it for a minute. It is absolutely outstanding. Um, so well done on that one. But what you're drinking tonight, tell us about that because that's also uh, a midi, but something a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. This is um, – so we normally – last year we did an, um, as a, a low-alcohol session stout called Mandy Muck and it was a – it was a mandarin, low-alcohol mandarin session lacto stout. And this year we've kind of – it was really great. So we kind of thought we'd give it another crack but do it, put a little twist on it. And we've um, – we twi- we teamed up with um, Bird Snake Chocolate, which is a like a really kind of trendy um, chocolate manufacturer that we're kind of good mates with. And we also teamed up with Bloom Co. Uh, coffee roasters which is a, <clears throat> a super cool little roastery about 100 meters from where we are and we kind of oh, nice. just um, like that yeah yeah and it was a, just a little collab with a, it was a whole bunch of um um concentrated cold brew um some and some cacao nibs um a little bit of lactose it's a yeah for three point three percent. It's got a lot plenty of flavors. Of, yeah, yeah, plenty, plenty of body. Um, it's been an absolute banger. Actually, we um, we're Delicious. super super happy with it. Yeah, you, you're keen on flavors because, as I said, I haven't been to the venue, but I believe the the food offering, which is Latin inspired, I suppose you would call it. Um, I looked at the menu today. It looks absolutely amazing. Again, a lot of flavor uh, going on there. Uh, had you settled on a style? For the food before you met your head chef, or did that idea come with him? That, yeah, that was sort of thing. Something that we, we, I, I think we originally thought that we would stumble across someone that would be able to. Well, we had so many different ideas. At one point, we were going to do dumplings. At one point, uh, we were going to do like kind of sort of English style and just like kind of parmas and stuff. And then um, my we we met a guy that was. Um, uh, one of my good friends actually just introduced me to um, a Mexican chef called Johnny Dominguez, and just said, "Hey, you got you got to meet this guy. He's he's a guru, and he's looking to get into something. And why don't you do why don't you do like Latin American Mexican food at Bodrigi? And it just uh, yeah, it was a, just a big um, turning point for us because it just made it made perfect sense because it that was a cuisine that uh, we thought that. You could you could eat multiple times in a week. Uh, it was great. Yes, with, yes. Yeah. <laughs> great, great with beer. It didn't really matter if it was lunch or dinner. It was it was something that could could roll over onto both both times a day. And um, it was just a uh, he was at the right time at the right place. And um, it was great because we got him to design the whole kitchen, the whole the whole layout of the uh, of the kitchen area is basically set up specifically for making barbecued latin food so um it's it's been really interesting actually we we kind of um it's great we thought that it would be such a um such a beer focused venue but and you always have an idea of what you think will happen in a space before it does but i think the amount of people that come in and just drink wine and eat eat food um 
it's nearly as uh, it's nearly equal to the people that just drink beers. Sometimes we have. Um, <laughs> I don't reckon so. Some people don't even know there's a brewery there. I reckon it's um, just, <laughs> which is which is good. <laughs> and then for anybody that does want to do that, you can head upstairs to Stingrays to the what's that? Is that the mini disco sort of lounge or something or cocktail yeah, yeah. bar? Stingrays, yeah, it's um, Stingrays is a was the old office of the LPG Conversion Center, and um, uh. Stingrays is a guy. <clears throat> he's a, he's a guy and a good mate of ours that's worked with us for for years now. And um, while we were building Bodrigi for a little bit, he lived in that in that area there, and um, we just <laughs> we just referred to that space as um, as Stingrays for we have for a long time. And then when we we're trying like to think. It. But yeah, we just we just wanted to. Um, quite often in Melbourne, the, the um, I'm sure in in any major city is that the the upstairs area can kind of just get <clears throat> forgotten about and left behind a little bit. And we just wanted to have a a genuine concept and image behind it. So we 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 did quite a lot of brainstorming on it, and we uh, I like the genuine aspect of. The fact that Stingray lived in that shitty office for for years made it it feel right, and <clears throat> he 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 is still in the building every day brewing beer, and it just felt it was a nice little kind of um it just made sense, and uh, it is it's a little bit more uh yeah I guess you could say maybe a little bit more disco like a little bit more lively than than yep. downstairs, and we kind of we, we we just open it on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, it's fun. It's just given another like little bit of depth to the to the building. You can now we've opened we've actually opened a front the front bar as well. So um, that's the old reception area of the LPG. Cons- and and we've made. That. Oh, so you're trying to be like the old traditional front bar in Melbourne, the like yeah. that every pub yeah. would have that kind of a, yeah nice yeah yeah we really are. So it's a, the beer hall, which is quite like lofty and um, like vast, and then the the. Stingrays, which is a little bit more intimate, but quite, um, you know, there's 27 disco balls and lasers <laughs> and sort of it's kind of a little bit um, energized. And then um, front bar, which is um, carpet on the floor and <clears throat> an old fridge and tiled walls and um, sort of. And plenty thrash- of Stingrays draft tinnies being served in there? Yeah. yeah, thrashy, thrashy punk music playing with the footy on oh, the sweet. corner and stuff. It's just, yeah. <laughs> It's great. You got something for everyone. Yeah, gives it a gives it cool. another bit of depth, which is good. How do you go with having all of that stuff on one side of the street, and then you know the other venue on the other side of the street? Are you robbing Peter to pay Paul, or do they all sort of work beautifully on their own? Um, oh, we were worried about that a little bit, but I think um, more. I think the, the natural progression of that street. We've had some great neighbours and some um, since. When we first moved into this area, there was two, well, three really old pubs: the Yarra Hotel, the Retreat Hotel, and the Park. And they were they were just shocking old pubs for a long time. That um, I mean, not not bad pubs, but just sort of probably not as loved as they should have been. And then within um, you know within six months, they all had um, a refurb and a new um, lease of life, and all of a sudden. Um, you know, there was three extra epic 150-year-old pubs to go to in that area, and then as well as that, we had um, uh, the the little like there's a, a couple of great bars that have opened next to us. The Lily guys have opened, which is a probably, in my opinion, one of the 
one of the best bars in in Melbourne. Um, so you know, if you, it's basically, and then Range Range has come on board as well, which has just given another uh, awesome sort of uh, beer um, venue and, and diverse cause it's very different to everything else that's in that area. So there's the, the amount of, um, eclectic, um, people and individuals that are coming to that area is so diverse. Um, that I, I think by the time you factor all those different things in, it's sort of, it hasn't really, it hasn't really, um, affected us too much. I still have people, um, that go to Dr. Morse every week and they haven't, they still haven't been to Bodrigi, uh, and it's been <laughs> open for, for nearly two, two years. So it's, um, Shit. yeah, quite a different, quite a different crowd and quite a, um, yeah, as I said, eclectic group of, um, individuals that sort of blend into one big space. You must be absolutely fanging for these lockdowns to end so that you can open venues back up and get some bloody live music cranking. Hey. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm trying not to <clears throat> try not to think about it too much. Like comparatively speaking, I think that, um, we're, I mean, everyone in Australia is, is doing it tough, but yeah, comparatively speaking, I, I don't think we're, we're doing too bad. We've got, uh, Bodri itself. We've got most people, um, all the brewers are still ticking over and <clears throat> our, our, our suppliers and our landlord have been relatively patient. So yeah, I mean, of course we're, we're, we're hanging for it. Um, just <clears throat> trying to keep the, the chin up and keep everyone pushing forward because, um, if last last time we came out of lockdown, which was um, probably the the big time when when November December kind of area, that was that was pretty wild, and um, we're we're preempting something similar to that happening this year. I hope. Yeah. Um, so we're <clears throat> we, we don't have our foot on the brake as much as we as we did this time last year, just because um, I think when people. Uh, when we do come out and it's um, um, de- depending on what time it happens, I think that people are going to be keen to get amongst it. And, and um, so we're, we're, we're going to be ready to roll. You must have been so stoked in retrospect to have, you know, decided to pony up for a canning line, um, you know, once COVID happened that you can still make beer, you can still get it into package, you don't have to rely on necessarily going over the, over the bar to sell it and you could, you know, go online or whatever and all that sort of stuff was, was that a blessing in disguise? You know, in oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Like it was, um, it was a bit of a push to, cause we were scrambling that <clears throat> for, for funds at that point. And it was a little, literally a week by week proposition as to what we weren't and were going to be able to get. So the canning line was, oh yeah, man, absolutely. Undoubtedly. I'm, I'm so, I'm so, it would have been a completely different ball game for us if we hadn't had that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And um, I mean, it just the the fact that we've had a lot of um, um, we've had a lot of interest from Coles and Woolies during this period, which has been amazing. You know, like st- they've been genuinely um, uh, just our local stores. You know, we don't sell much outside of this area, but um, the fact that these um, there's there's big stores that are normally there's a relatively um, arduous process in, in trying to get into these stores, but we'll whisk straight into a couple of them, which is just, just helps. Nice. Um, that, that sort of stuff just helps, helps pay the yep. bill. So, yeah. We mentioned before about your, your great looking cans and the art and all that sort of stuff. Can you explain for me your website? 
Is there something that I'm missing with the website? It's one of the most unique oh. beer brand websites I've seen in ever, <laughs> I think. It looks like something retro off Netscape or something like that. <laughs> oh, that's really funny that you ask about it. Um, it's a really, it's a pretty much a brand new website. Um, it is, um, it's a, it's a, a group of sisters in um, New Zealand that <clears throat> have done it, and I, I got one of our, um, um, our marketing manager to sort of oversee it, and it's a, apparently, I don't, I don't know, man, I'm not up to speed with this sort of stuff, but it's a little bit uh, like the the old school '90s. Style websites, yeah. uh, that's the same when I was saying uh, Netscape, Netscape yeah, yeah, Navigator. Yeah. It feels it feels nineties, and I, I was I I can only assume that was what you wanted it to look like. But today, looking yeah. at it, I was like, oh, this is hilarious. Yeah, it definitely yeah, has no, that feel. It is pretty funny. I get the odd email from customers just being like, "What the fuck? Are you, what are you doing?" And then <laughs> I like, and I'm kind of used to it now. And I look at it, I'm just like, "Oh yeah, it is a bit funny, isn't it?" Like. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, it stands out. It stands out. Yeah, it's got to be all my my all my requirements was it just has to be has to be fun and um, we I don't I don't like um, when I, I don't I mean it's not that I don't like but I, I don't um, assimilate or, or um, I guess understand a lot of breweries that try to be very serious and stern and quite. Um, um, rigid. Um, so uh, <clears throat> it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be, beer's meant to be happy and, um, our venue is meant to be a space where it's, um, enjoyable and not too serious and not, um, something that you need to think about all the time. So that, that was kind of my brief on it and I saw it and there was sort of shit fine everywhere and stuff like that. So I, if it ticks those boxes, I'm, I'm happy. And if it, I mean, I've never been asked about a website more in my life than what I have about this website. So I guess it's got people talking, you know. Mate, ticks all the boxes for me. I'm a fan of uh, 90s, 90s rock, 90s skateboarders, 90s hip hop, 90s television. So it, yeah. it works for me. Yeah, Actually, nice. I did notice that you've got, you've got a skateboarder on your, um, on your muckamuck. Is there a, is somebody in the place a fan of skating? Yeah, the, a lot of the brewery guys are into skating. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Not, not, not so, I mean, I'm into it. I'm just way too gangly for it. But the, the boys, <laughs> the boys in the brewery, like, they're, they're right into it. So it's, uh, it's coming back around again for those of us that skated when we were younger. I've, I've been bitten by the bug in the last few years, and I'm, oh, I'm, 40, a, I'm 45. <laughs> are you having a crack at it again? Yeah, yeah, my son's been skateboarding um, for probably the last five or so years, and I sort of did it to just stay connected with him, you know, through his teenage yeah. years, just to be around so we could do some stuff together. And so when he got into it, I then I just bought myself like a, you know, went to the skate store and got a complete and skate on that a bit, which is very different to what I rode as a kid. And then that that deck then became a like a cruiser that I, I would skate to and from work, just the streets of Hobart, cruising yeah, nice. back and forth. And then for my forty fifth birthday. I, uh, I resurrected the board I wanted to buy when I was a 15-year-old, which is this Steve Caballero 1980s, late 80s um, uh, deck, which is also a pretty much a cruiser. in Like a long board? Kind of no, 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 short board, but it's like got the fish tail and stuff like that. So it's not like the double double kicked ones that you see now, those the pop- popsicles the kids ride. So I've just literally set that one up and we've been riding that. And then this last weekend I took my daughter to She Shreds so she's thirteen, and she's uh, jumped on a deck for the first time, and it's 
It's kind of cool, but I'm sure at some stage I'm going to fall off and hurt myself. Yeah, great. Uh, how do you pull off? After you've had a, I reckon I'd do you know It's uh, the calf muscles initially when you get back on the board and haven't skated for a while and you, you can feel it from where you push and all that sort of thing. If you're getting a bit of speed up, you know, from going along a bike track or whatever, I definitely feel it in the calf muscles. But other than that, not too bad. I, I, I'm not pushing myself too hard. I'm dropping in here and there on a few of the skate parks and just sort of enjoying it. But not. Uh, I won't be uh, pulling any... Uh, McTwist or any of that sort of stupid shit at any time soon. Taking it easy. We actually had um, – <clears throat> do you know the – have you heard the skateboard brand Passport? Yes. So, yeah, they had they kind of out of the blue hit us up to have a, uh, a video premiere at Bodriggy one night. They were doing this new video. Oh, really? And we um, sort of quickly scrambled to put it together and um, – the, the guy said to me that he was expecting about 500 people, but they hadn't announced it. And um, far out, when they when they um, decide to have a crack at it, those skater guys, they, they get amongst it, don't they? Was, yeah. Um, did you have like a, a band in there playing punk music or something like that as well? No, it was literally this just like a giant screen set up. And, um, and yeah, it was – I'm not joking. There was – if, like a, there would have been 500 people in the line just to get in and then the, the, the place, like I've never seen so much graph on a wall in the toilet. It was uh, just like everyone having a crack at Like it was great. It was a great night. Um, um, but, yeah, that was a, a sort of a <coughs> off, the, off the cuff quick kind of thing that happened. Um, but, Skaters um, love to party. Oh, man, yeah, totally. Maybe you need to build a mini ramp out of the back and get them back again. <laughs> shit, no. M- maybe not too much public liability <laughs> insurance for that shit. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, shit. Well, mate, uh, thanks for your time tonight. I've really enjoyed, uh, you know, catching up with you and finding out more about uh, this beer that I've been enjoying for quite a while now. Um, as I said, huge fan and uh, was so stoked to, to finally get you on. And so thanks for your time. And thanks so much for having us. It was, um, yeah, no, it was great. It felt. It- I felt great talking to you and um, um, looking forward to hopefully having a beer with you on the other side. Um, I've, again, on, on the list that I've got to go to all these places, I'm so keen to get get travelling again. Um, I hope the lockdown finishes soon for you. I hope you have that big summer that you're hoping for and I hope you get um, some uh, more live music playing in that venue real soon because that's just the fucking best. Mate, thanks for, thanks for thinking of us. Um, let us know when you're – up this way or I'll hit you up when I'm coming back down. So thanks again. Bodriggy.beer, jump on there and uh, you can uh, see all their stuff and you can even shop and uh, get some beer sent to you. So uh, some great stuff there for Father's Day as well. So, uh, mate, thanks again and all the best for the future. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have an interesting beer story and want to be a guest on the Beer Healer interviews, send me a message via my Facebook page. And once again, if you want to help out the show, a simple rate and review on Apple Podcasts or a follow, like or share on any other podcast service will do the trick. I'll catch you soon.